Good evening. Good to see you all here tonight as we continue through the book of Romans. After I'm done with Romans, I am going to go into the book of Revelation. I have decided to tackle it. Yeah, you clap now. You Later on, we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll be challenging. Um, one of the things I think that happens a lot of times is, again, even as we've been talking about through the book of Romans, is we interpret the scripture based on the things that are happening around us. And we tend to think that we're the center of the universe, much like, you know, the early astronomers, you know, thought the earth was the center of the universe and everything rotated around the earth. I think a lot of times the church today feels that we are the center of history and the scriptures revolve around us. And so a lot of interpretation is based on that concept. And so everything we read, we think it has to be something that is directly, even in a prophetic way, applying to us without seeing maybe what was happening at the time when Paul was writing this to Romans or when John was writing the book of Revelation that might be more in connection with what he was saying and that there are still incredible depth of truth that needs to be taken out of that in that context. And so um, it should be a challenge and we'll see how that goes. But we are right now in Romans chapter 14. We are coming to the end of this letter that Paul has written, and as we have seen, Paul has really taken a long time to try and explain some things, and we're kind of getting to the downhill of this letter. Paul has said from chapters, say, 5 through 8, he's talked about, because you are the family of Abraham, and because you are now the family of Christ, you have an assurance that God has been righteous. God has fulfilled his promise to you, both to the Jew and to the Gentile. In chapters 9 through 11, he says, because you are this family, then you are on mission. You have a job to do to continue the work of God that he has called us to be part of. And what he's really talking about here towards the end is now because you are the family, you must have unity. There must be a united voice that takes place within this new family, within this new community that God is establishing. And that is something that has fallen, I think, in our culture in such a great extent. And we're going to talk about some of those things. But first, let's read a few of the verses that start off. Let's read verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master servants, 
to their own master servants stand or fall and they will stand for the lord is able to make them stand and let's pray father as we go through these passages the depth and importance of them may grip our attention and lord i ask that you would help us to not only hear these things but to make an effort to put a practice to them in our own lives with the people that we are in contact with. And we do ask your blessing and understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. As Paul starts off, he says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. The first thing we understand is that there's someone who has faith that is weak. And we need to ex explore that a little bit because what does that mean? What is weak faith. Remember who Paul has been talking to throughout this book. He has been talking to those followers of Jesus who are either Jewish in their history, maybe converted to Judaism, or proselytes who have come, proselytes who have come to this Jewish faith and now have come even further to a faith in Christ, or he's talking to Gentiles who don't have the Jewish faith, but now have faith in Christ. Which ones are the ones who are weak? Any thoughts? What do you think? Yes. Okay, so it could be both. It's more of that person who is judging, kind of? Okay. We would gather kind of a clue for us on whose faith is strong, because maybe if we know whose faith is strong, it'll give us more understanding and whose faith is weak. We would have to think that Paul would be the one whose faith is strong, all right, since he's writing this. So Paul would be on the side that is strong. What was Paul's faith? Paul was a Jew who believed that God had fulfilled the law, that the law was no longer, when we say the law, we're talking about those ceremonial things. We've talked about this, remember, the Sabbath, keeping of the Sabbath, the dietary laws, the circumcision, those things would be what they would encompass as the law, that God is not requiring those things any longer. And so a person who would be strong would be a person who believes what God has been doing and is not requiring us to any longer be a part of that legalistic idea. Okay, that would be a person who was strong. So a person who would be weak would be a person who still feels that there is a necessity to do some of those things. And we're going to see, he talks about the dietary food things. He mentions it here, those who only eat vegetables, those you know whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables, because if you only eat vegetables, you're probably weak. I'm um, just joking, that was a joke. We were having dinner the other day, and one of the people we were having uh, dinner with, she said, well, because we were talking about a, their dog, of course. And she said, well, you know, my boyfriend, he eats meat, but I'm a vegetarian. And I think the dog knows that like I'm lower on the food chain or something like that because the dog <laughs> seems to respect him, but isn't respecting me. You know, I just thought that was funny. <laughs> but 
He says, the one who is weak is the one who is trying to hold on to other things to support their faith instead of holding on to just Christ alone. And another important word here is over disputable matters. Because the idea here of disputable matters are things that aren't necessary for one's, you know, uh, well, not only salvation, but just even their sanctification. It's not necessary for a person who has faith in Jesus, you know, uh, to keep these things, to have faith in Jesus. Um, For example, when Paul talks to the Corinthians, and he talks about the guy who is, you know, living with his uh, father's ex-wife. He says, no, you can't be doing that. That's a matter that should be judged because it's immoral. He, that's not a disputable matter. A disputable matter is what things you eat, what days you worship. Those are the disputable things that he's dealing with here. So it's not dealing with moral issues of right and wrong. Well, I guess it's okay to commit murder now, right? Because we're not under the law. He's not talking about those things. He's specifically dealing with the contextual things he's been talking about when he talks about the Jews and the Gentiles. And so he kind of explains those things. The one eats everything. He must not treat with contempt. He can't despise the one who only eats the vegetables, Okay, he he can't despise that person. The one who eats vegetables must not treat with contempt the one who does not. He got it backwards. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. Have you ever had a really intense vegan talk to you? Vegans are intense. They really are. Okay, it's like a whole religion. I mean, and they'll just be like, no, I don't eat anything dairy because dairy comes from animals. Oh, I thought it was okay. Well, can you eat? No, I can't eat anything. It's like, wow, man, okay, I'm sorry. You know, how can you eat those things? I mean, and they, they can judge you because you like in and out You know, they judge you because you eat meat and you eat these other things. And they, they have this very, you know, self-conscious awareness of those things. And it's amazing the things that we can become so judgmental over. That's not even a religious thing, and it just becomes one of those things. And, you know, it's probably good, a lot of the things the vegans eat, but I'm sorry. You know, it's just, it's not something I feel prone to do. And so it might be good for you, but it's not really moving my life forward. It's kind of an abstinence of things that, you know, are there. And you can't have this position of judging because it makes it awkward. You go out to eat and you eat with someone and they're, oh, are you going to eat that? Did you know all the products that are in that and all the chemicals and all this? Oh, yeah, I'm just trying to enjoy my foods. Can you stop? You know, you don't want that there at that time. And so he is saying something very important at the end of verse three, for God has accepted them, which needs to be our focus, okay? We're, we're not to... Think about the person who is weak, who needs these things to support their faith, and we're not supposed to try and, you know, dispute or despise them. We're we're not supposed to treat them with contempt. God has accepted them. And if God has accepted them, then that's supposed to tell us something, which is what verse 4 is about. Who are you to judge someone else's servant. 
Whose servant are they? They're God's servant. So who are you to judge someone else's servant? And Paul is saying that God will deal with that person where they are at. And I believe there is such an important lesson for us to learn here with how we deal with people. This is a lesson I wish I would have learned much earlier, even in dealing with my own children, of how to deal with them, not recognizing that God is also working is probably a big mistake for parents as well as for us as people. We seem to think it is our job to correct everything and to make sure everyone knows everything that we know. And so there are seminars, there are conferences that are all about what we are against. I can remember going to pastors' conferences where they just blasted other churches, other pastors. I remember going to one pastors' conference and it was like attack Rick Warren day. It was when the purpose-driven life just came out and these pastors, one after another, just started critiquing it, critiquing it, critiquing it. And my son had just started working at Saddleback. And so I started getting a lot of information about what's happening at Saddleback. And some of these things these pastors were saying were just not true. I knew they weren't true because I was aware of some of the things that were going. And it was just like, what is this? I came here and there's literally probably 800 pastors together and we're just here to knock down this pastor? Because we disagree with him with this, we disagree with him with this, and we disagree with this point in this book. And it was like we were trying to make sure everyone despised Rick Warren. And I was like, what is this? And I remember thinking just... This isn't right. I don't like being a part of this. I don't want to be a part of this. And so I'm not a part of this anymore. Um, But why is it necessary to bring that kind of judgment? Who are you to judge another person's servant? Whether you agree with everything Rick Warren says or does or not, who are you to judge God's servant on disputable matters? We're not talking about those things essential to what hold our faith together. We're talking about disputable things. And there are a lot of disputable things. There are a whole lot in the church today. You have Pentecostal, you have traditional, you have Reformed, you have Episcopalian, you have... Uh, Catholic, you have uh, Presbyterian, you have, uh, you know, Calvinist, what's that? Methodist, yeah, I mean, you've got the whole gamut, and think about it, who are we to judge how another person worships God in disputable things? Does it matter what kind of music they play? If they like hymns, some people cannot stand contemporary music. They think it is terrible. They think it is flippant. 
I remember one person came in on a Sunday morning and Alex was leading worship. He had his Dodger hat, you know, and he's got his shorts on and he's leading worship. And, oh, is that how he, does he always lead worship like that? And it was like, yeah, he does. You know, and that would not fly at a lot of places. It flies here just because that's not what we're focusing on. You know, I guess I could tell Alex, you know, take the Dodger hat off. They they lost, you know, save it for next season. You know, hopefully they'll do better. Just don't put a giant hat on, whatever you do. Uh, well, I'm still for the National League over American League. But that's another point, okay? That's disputable matters, okay? It's disputable. It's all a matter of not judging another person's servant, which is the Lord's servant, because the Lord is able to make them stand, and he is the one who accepts them. And if we could understand that, we might be able to actually work together for the cause of Christ and see some things take place. As many of you know, the work that takes place in Haiti, we are working with the Episcopal Church. Episcopal Church is not like us in the way they do things. They are much more structured than our church is. They wear collars, okay? I mean, not just like a shirt with a collar. I mean, they got the whole collar, the whole priest collar, and the whole thing. It's different. They have their eulogies, and there's nothing wrong with those things. They're they're disputable as far as, you know, it's not that... That isn't what is going to separate us in our faith because what they're saying is true. They're saying it in a different way. When I went to Haiti, and Denise has pictures of this somewhere. I know she's going to frame me someday for this. She has pictures of me with a collar when I went into Haiti. I know you guys are wanting to see that now, aren't you? Because going into Haiti, if they see you and they think you're a priest, especially getting through the airport, it makes it a whole lot easier and so now they'll let you in oh father you know hey how's it going you know and so they call you father oh yes father okay go on through why because the priest is well known there both the catholic and the episcopal and so it makes it easy to be identified there am i going to worry because i wore a collar are you guys going to leave genesis because you know i wore a collar Or is it a disputable matter? (laughs) There goes one person now. (laughs) Is that where I'm going to take my stand on things like that? Now, you guys know how I feel about ordination and, and the whole idea of priesthood. I think everyone is called to be a kingdom of priests. I've shared that many times. I've shared the story where I was in a truck or a carload of priests, and I said that because I was really tired and I wasn't thinking, but okay. And I was there in Haiti with a bunch of priests, and I said, well, I think the Bible says this. And I thought, oh, why did I say that in a carload of priests? You know, but they were great people, and I still have friendships with them today. It wasn't something antagonist. I didn't mean it to put them down. I was just stating my opinion and actually had great conversation with them. One of them is now... uh, the head priest for Notre Dame, I think, or something like that. He's way up there. He's a smart guy. Um, And he was a great guy. Great people, great friends, doing great work for the cause of Christ. Guess what? We're going to work together. 
because this is supposed to be about unifying. One of the things that's interesting as we go on and we read verses 5, we know who he's talking about, right? We know he's talking about the Gentiles. We know he's talking about the Jews. Notice what's missing in this conversation. Let's read, continue in verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You, then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will stand, all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will, conf- will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account for ourselves to God. Now, we know that he's talking to the Gentiles and to the Jews because that's who he's been dealing with the whole time. But do you notice that he doesn't bring them out, say, you Jewish Christians or you Gentile Christians. He never does that throughout this letter, even though that's what we know he's talking about. And he's doing that for a very important reason because he is trying so hard to push unity and not give them a stand for division. And if he says, you Gentile Christians, he has just separated them in language from Jewish Christians. And so Paul won't even say that. He just says, you guys. There are some of you who do this. There are some of you that do that. But he wants them to understand they are all part of this same Christian community, this Christian family, this new humanity that God is establishing. And so it's very important that they understand these groups are the same family. And so even though he's implying these divisions and he's putting them on the table, he refuses to label them so that they will not start to label them themselves. He never talks about the Jew and Gentile differently or in a separate way. He doesn't want to add to that type of division. He doesn't want that to be a part. And the whole point of these verses are getting them to understand worship. You're here to worship God and to be of use to God, how you live or how you die. You belong to the Lord. He's pushing for this understanding of worship, and he's also pushing individual responsibility. Notice in verse 5, each one considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Now, 
we have trouble with this because what I want Paul to do is, Paul, tell me who's right and tell me who's wrong, right? I'm right, right? And they're wrong, right? That's what we want to understand. We want this understanding. Paul, which one is right and which one is wrong? And he says, each one has to be fully convinced in their own mind. Again, these aren't on essentials. These aren't moral issues, whether you should kill someone, whether you should take someone's wife. Those aren't the things on the table here. This is how you worship. Some of their traditions. Well, we believe that God wants us to worship on the Sabbath, the Saturday, because that was his tradition. Well, we believe Sunday is the new day to worship because that's when Christ rose from the dead. So, okay, which one is right? What do you guys think? It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, right? You have a question? And so the importance is your relationship with God, your personal relationship with God and having that be secure. And if you compromise those things that are a part of that, then there's a problem in your heart. So who would be the ones who are considered weak? Well, we talked about those who need the, the day. I need it to be the Saturday. I need it to be, you can't eat. You see, the ones who are actually weak are the ones who are more legalistic. The ones who seem to be strong in Paul's mind are the ones who don't need the day to be separate, don't need to have the dietary laws, don't need those things. And really what's happened today, I think, in a lot of the church is the weak one has become the one who is free the one who has more liberty, which is what we're going to see as he continues on the chapter. Okay, And that seems to be contrary to what Paul is saying because Paul is wanting individual responsibility. Everyone needs to be convinced. For none of us, verse 7, lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. We are supposed to be here for one another. And if you have a problem meeting on Sunday, I'll go with you on a Saturday. And if you have a problem eating bacon, okay, I'll eat whatever that is that you're eating. I'm not going to make that the issue if that's going to be a problem for you because why you're weak. Now, when I go home, the bacon and eggs, right? Okay, when I go home, I'm having the chorizo. When I go home, I'm going to eat. And when I hang out with my other friends, I'm going to go ahead. And now what happens to that person goes, wait, do you go and eat bacon when you're, you're not with me? Sorry, buddy. I, I do. I, I won't eat it when I'm with you if that's a problem with you. Okay, some of our family are uh, vegetarians or they don't eat beef. Okay, some of our family's Jewish. Come Christmas, you know, we have ham. They don't have ham. They bring their own stuff. And it's fun to have their stuff too, and it's fun that they come and enjoy. What am I going to do? Force them to eat the Christmas ham? This is, no, it's, what tradition is that? What, what, what point is that? See, I'm not living for myself. My life is supposed to include and be inclusive, but I'm not going to dictate everything I do because of someone's weakness. What would be something today? Because most people in the Christian church today, and again, that's a wide term, don't care about 
the dietary things. Most people meet on Sundays. Can you guys think of something that would be maybe divisive or, or cause some kind of concerns? Alcohol. Alcohol. Okay, drinking beer or wine. Is it wrong? Is it right? Living together? Well, I think oh, there's, right. yeah, that would be going into more of a moral issue. Um, but alcohol, what's that? Wearing makeup. Wearing makeup? There was a time. See, <laughs> well, actually, I mean, that's really what we're getting to is this kind of dualism. I mean, there was a time, it wasn't too long ago, where there was this dualistic view in the church where things were all right and things were all wrong. Tattoos. Okay. There was a time not too long ago, I can remember pastors preaching against tattoos. And in some churches, more the Pentecostal churches, I know people uh, who would not go to church because their parents would not let them wear makeup. You know, you can't wear makeup and go to church. Now, a lot of that has subsided, except for some churches that are more in the extreme. But there was this dualistic view of everything is extremely wrong, like tattoos, like makeup, like drinking, like paying cards, like gambling, dancing. dancing. Oh, my gosh, you guys are terrible. Look at you here, all these things, right? All those kinds of things were taboo. Those are wrong. Those are of the world. Those are worldly. How can you, how can you dance like that? Don't you know what you're doing? Not really, but I have fun, you know. I, I, and so, and then the other was a kind of assimilative view that believes that everything was inclusive, everything was good. Doesn't matter what it is, it's good. Life is here for you to enjoy. And so you had this dualistic, and you had this assimilation view. And, and where does the church fall in that? Well, let's see, because we're going to continue talking about those things. But keep those things in mind that we mentioned: the drinking, tattoos, uh, gambling. Um, all those things. Verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Let me just read that again, okay? Because... I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that's a key phrase there, that nothing is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone whom Christ, for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So, let's stop passing judgment. Make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in front of anyone because I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean by itself. So these very legalistic people, everything is wrong, explicitly wrong on this category, and this is the holy category, okay? The, 
the prayer, the church on Saturday or Sunday, whatever their belief was, the the things that we do that are religious, those things are good. Everything else, there is just this extreme evil, the assimilating view. Everything is good. God has made everything. Everything is good for us to enjoy. What is our view? Everyone's Whatever, a little... we want to do is okay. Whatever we want to do is like, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> the Christian view, it's very key words he says in... Christ. The Christian grabs the cross, grabs the resurrection, which says, yes, there is evil, and evil has been defeated, and God has reaffirmed the goodness of the world through Jesus and the resurrection. So now all things are lawful for me, because I am living in a world that God has now taken care of and redeemed through Christ. Everything is lawful, but not everything is necessary or profitable. And I have to decide whether it is profitable or not. I have to make the decision based on my relationship with God and the knowledge of who God is. So it's not just, well, I feel... Like it's okay to, you know, go and use a bunch of drugs and trip out for the weekend. I feel it's okay. Is it lawful? Well, yeah, it's lawful. Is it something that is going to benefit your relationship with God? Well, no, it's actually going to hinder that. Is that something in line with the character of God? No, it's actually not. You know, I deciding I really like my girlfriend, so I'm going to move in and we're going to, you know, act as if we're married even though we haven't made an agreement. Because everything is lawful. Is it lawful? Yeah, it's lawful. Is that in line with God and what he's declared throughout Scripture? No, it's not. So it's not something that is profiting your relationship with God. And so even though Christ has redeemed the world, we hold on to the cross, which is the recognition of God's holiness and judgment and understanding of sin. But we hold on to the resurrection, knowing that God has made or brought everything back to the place where now it is indeed lawful. Even as Paul said there, everything is good. Okay, We don't have to, nothing is unclean in itself. So the food, it's good. It's not unclean. I I can eat the bacon. I can eat the shrimp. I can eat those foods that aren't kosher. It's okay. It's good. But my brother who's lived under this religious understanding and the idea of eating food that's not kosher, he just can't do it. I'm not going to force him to come to my house and eat this food. And when I go to his house, I'm not going to demand to eat this food. Some people have grown up in church and you just will not drink alcohol, just will not. No, I, I can't. A friend of mine who lives up in Napa, I talked to him and I said, well, do you, I mean, you're in Napa. Do you ever go wine tasting? He goes, no, I I don't. He goes, I'd like to. I just have my conscience. It just won't allow me. And I don't tell him that's stupid. That's his conscience. 
And so I'm going to leave that there and trust that God is going to deal with his servant. He knows how to. And he has to make that decision because it would be wrong for him than to go ahead and drink. Not like he's going to have a drink and he's going to be a drunk or something like that. It's just violating his conscience. God has put on his heart, he feels, you shouldn't do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to be that example. You know, a lot of people are surprised to find out Erwin from Mosaic, he doesn't drink. He just doesn't feel like he should. That's his conscience. There are other people in his leadership, I know, who do. He doesn't say, no, you guys, you can't drink. Now, I know other churches, you actually have to sign that you will not have alcoholic beverage if you work at that church. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? You need to make it in your own heart, but you need to understand that God has, through Christ, redeemed the world. Now, we're not seeing the fulfillment. We're still waiting for that redemption, as Romans 8 talked about, the redemption of our bodies and of this world. But it's already done. And so we're not dualists that say, oh, all that is evil. Yeah, all this kind of stuff is evil. You can't do any of those things. We're going to draw a line, because people will try and draw the line. Okay, you can't go to any movie that's rated R. I remember going to a conference, and that's what they said. It was a men's retreat. I will not go to any R-rated. And all the guys were, yes, we're not going to go to R-rated movies. We're making a stand. That's evil. That's our view. All that is evil. Then the Passion of the Christ came out. It was rated R. And then the church put on a big thing to go see it. Well, what happened to your commitment? No R-rated movies. Well, no R-rated movies except for those movies that are okay in our standards. You see, we, we start making those lines and trying to make lines. And really what needs to happen is you have to have the line in your heart. And you have to understand that God has redeemed everything. And so movies aren't in and of themselves wrong. Yeah, there's wrong things in them. And there's some movies that are definitely bad. But it doesn't mean you can't go to the movies. And, and it just means that you have to be in relationship with God for what you do. Because you're responsible for that relationship. You have to hold on to the cross which is holding on to what God has done for you, recognizing the sin that is there, the evil that is there. You hold on to the resurrection, recognizing that God has overcome sin and that this world is now going to be restored. Remember we talked about the whole idea, because what Paul is doing is relabeling this view of God. There is one God. Who is this one God? Well, now he has been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. He's redefined or re revised the idea of election. What is election? Well, we, the Jews, the children of Abraham, well, now it is the children of promise. Those who have faith in Christ, they are the elect of God. And it is in Christ that that election takes place. We talked about that in chapter 9. And he's revised eschatology, the end times. The end times when everything is going to be made right. It's somewhere down the line when God is going to restore Israel and put them in ownership over the world and all people will recognize it. No, the last times have taken place in Christ. Christ has now brought the fulfillment of all those things. And so we are living in a world that has been judged 
and is now being dealt with through the person of Christ. The resurrection has dealt with that. Now, we don't see the benefits of that. We're going to see the return of Christ and the restoration of all things completely, but it has already begun. That's why Paul could say this. How can you say, persuaded, that nothing is unclean in itself? How could Paul tell the Corinthian church, all things are lawful for me? The Corinthian church, do you know what they were doing? Why would you tell them everything is lawful for you? The key is in the Lord Jesus. That is what we hold on to. That's what shapes our decisions. That's what makes things clean. It's in Christ that these things are established. So it's not that, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the world. We know there's plenty wrong with the world. You just watch the news for 10 minutes. I don't even like to watch the news anymore. They're a bunch of liars. I mean, you just don't know what's going on. Is that true? Isn't it true? I can't tell. I have to wait till it all, you know, shakes loose and then you find out, okay, well, that was kind of embellished. Okay, that didn't really happen at all like that. And then you start seeing, you know, video clips. Well, they staged this. Like, why would they do that? Well, because they're making a story. And so it's like, what's going on? How do you believe? It's all bad news. It's terrible. The world's falling apart. No, I'm holding on to Christ, the resurrected Christ. And now there's nothing unclean in itself But in the Lord Jesus, I will move forward understanding that God has made and is making a new creation. And he's starting that new creation with who? With us, the new people of God. We are the ones who are bringing about the work of God, and he's going to fulfill it again at his return. The Christian grabs hold of the cross, the resurrection, The resurrection is the foundation of moral order and the affirmation of God's good created world. God has done something new. He is judged and he is doing something new. Resurrection is proof of that. It wasn't just an event that happened. It was a setting in motion of a whole new thing. And again, we're kind of reviewing, talking about that. Remember, when Christ came, he was the fulfillment of Israel. He was the perfect Israelite. And what God did in Christ was start something completely new. He took what had happened with Adam, where the world was supposed to be under the rule of man. Man fell, lost control, and he put the rule back under the authority of a man, Jesus. All heaven and earth are under my authority. God has given me Authority over all things in heaven and in earth. That's what Jesus said at the resurrection. Is that, well, later on it's going to happen. No, it happened when he said it. Everything in heaven and earth is under my authority right now. Why? Because God has put a man back on top over all creation. And that's the creation we're living in. Under the rulership of the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus. And that's why in Christ is so important. So what can you do? Everything is good in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that in Christ Jesus forms what is good and what isn't? We seem to think, oh no, you can't tell everyone that all things are lawful because they'll do awful things. 
You can't tell them that all things are clean because then they'll do unclean things. You see, we keep wanting to, to stop the madness, but what Paul keeps wanting to do is put the responsibility on the person and that relationship with God. And so he continues in verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. You see, when we say, well, everything is now clean. Oh boy, I get to do whatever I want. Paul says, everything is clean. Now do what's going to help your brother. It's kind of the opposite of what we're thinking. All right, everything's free. I can go do, I can dance, I can get a tattoo, and I'm going to go have a drink all in one day. Why? Because everything's lawful for me. Everything's clean. And Paul says, hey, you can do everything now. It's clean. God is doing a new work. Therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, for the sake of a tattoo, for the sake of dancing, for the sake of getting a drink. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So, the one who would fall would be the one who is weaker. And when he says fall, what does that mean? Sin. How would it be a sin? And so they take that drink or they eat that food or they do that thing and then they think, oh no, me and God are separated. I'm no longer a follower of Jesus. Uh, I'm now a person who is you know, out of fellowship with God because I've, I've violated the, what I believe was a law of God. Okay? It's real important to understand that aspect of it because there's a lot of Christians who say, hey brother, you're causing me to stumble. Really? Are you leaving your faith? Because I had a drink. It's not the same thing. You see what I'm saying? The, the one is supplying to someone who says, oh no, because you know now I've had a drink, now I, I'm out of relationship with God and I've done something wrong and so I feel separated from God and now they're in disconnection with God. Those aren't the ones who are usually judging the people who drink or get tattoos. They're not usually in danger of losing their relationship status. They just want to judge. There's a difference. See what he's talking about here? When he's talking about those who will stumble, he's talking about those who will engage in that practice and then cause a friction in their relationship with God. Don't do that. It doesn't mean that someone says, you know, well, I heard, you know, that you went drinking the other went drinking. Yeah, that's what we do. We go out drinking. I heard that, you know, you had a drink the other day, you know. And I just gotta tell you, brother, that causes me to stumble. How are you stumbling? Is that divided you and your relationship with God? No, then you didn't stumble. You know, if it divided your relationship with me, then who's the weaker brother? The one who has the problem with that person. You see what I'm saying? And so we, we've got it, I think, a little mixed up sometimes. And recognizing the legalistic view is actually the weak view. They're the person who's weak. And dealing with that. You had your hand up. Were you going to ask? Yeah. And have you noticed this is kind of messy? 
I'd like it to just be clean. I'd rather Paul just said, don't do this, do this, and that, and everything would be fine. But now I've got to deal with all these different people. Yeah, and it's like, man, I, I like this group of people. Man, this group of people is annoying. I don't even want to talk to that group of people. You know I mean? It's like, but now Paul is pushing me and saying, you have to. You see, there are... I, if I would be honest, and I will since I just said that, the biggest problem I have are with people who call themselves Christians. I never have a person who is not a follower of Jesus who has a difficult time with me and what I'm doing. It's only those people who are followers of Jesus who want to tell me what I'm doing is wrong or that I need to do things their way or that, you know, don't talk to me, but talk to everyone about me. That's always fun, you know. And you, you hear about it from someone else and you say, wow, okay. I, they said, what? Oh, yeah, well, that's not really true. You see, it's only the people who are followers of Jesus who have caused the conflict in my own life. And it makes me want to say, you know what? I'd rather associate with people who aren't followers of Jesus because they got a lot of issues and I really don't want to deal with those issues because I'm trying to reach these people and these people are getting in the way of me communicating to those people. But I can't because those people who are irritating me with the things they say and the things they do are my family, which is how it usually is, right? It usually is family that irritates us. And I can't say, well, I don't care about them. I'm just going to leave them. That might be the easier thing to do, but I have to recognize that. And we've gotten to a place where because there are so many churches we can go to, we separate ourselves and we just meet with the people who are like us. We just want people who do things like us. It makes it easier. Where if we were out in the sticks somewhere in Haiti, where there's a church and it's one church for miles. Well, I really don't, you know, care for the music and I don't like dressing all up, but they dress all up and this is the music we have. Guess what? You have to Go there and you have to be a part of that. And you know what? It's probably good sometimes that you do. It's probably good sometimes that you look at that and say, I wouldn't do it this way. But you know what? This is my family. I'm going to do it this way. I know people do that at Genesis. There's some people who probably don't like the fact that, you know, Alex wears a Dodger hat or that I'm so, you know, casual in how I communicate. I know there's people who say, but you know what? They humble themselves and say, you know, it's a good humility for me to sit here and listen to this person who makes a lot of mistakes. And it's probably good for them. It's good. It's been good for me that I've gone to places where I've disagreed with what was going on. And, and I thought, you know what? I wouldn't do it this way, but you know what? It's okay. People are getting touched by God and God is doing work. It's okay. I, 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 can, I can still be here and I can humble myself because I'm not what it's about. And that's a hard thing to do. It's very hard to do. But that's what Paul is pushing us towards. You're here to bring edification, mutual edification. It's not just one way. 
See, I want people to edify me, but are you here to edify others? You need to. And sometimes it's hard because you want to tell them, you know, things that, well, this is really how I feel, but I don't need to say everything that I feel. I need to say what's going to be edifying. Verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. (laughs) Sorry, I just told you what I felt, but keep it between yourself and God. But I'd like to tell that person, keep it between you and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Oh man, there's a lot there. A person who doesn't condemn himself by what he approves. In other words, he holds his tongue. And those things that he approves, he doesn't bring condemnation to those around him. Your freedom is under your own constraint which is what freedom always has to be under. You're free, but you need to constrain yourself or your freedom will ruin you. That's what he told Cain, remember? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But sin is crouching at the door and it wants to devour you and you must learn to master it. Your freedom, you must learn to master. If you don't, it will consume you. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Wow. And then he's going to go on and talk about those people who he would consider strong and some of the things that are required of them. But in this, he's bringing out the understanding there's differences among you, but you've got to deal with them together. When my kids were small and we'd have to sit down maybe to watch a TV program, you got four kids who want to watch four different things and you have to come to an agreement. Who, who's going to get it? I want to watch this. No, I don't want to watch this. I want to watch this. Oh, I wanna. You have to agree. Otherwise, no one gets to watch anything. And so we'd end up watching what I wanted because, no, never happened, really. No, you have to agree. You have to work it out. So you got people who say, you know, it's wrong to do these things and to worship this way. And this music is just too casual and too flippant. You know, we need the hymns because that's from our tradition. I just heard um, John MacArthur Uh, talk about how the music that's here today is music of the world, that it started from the world, that the church used uh, worldly music and it started using that. That's never happened before in history. And I I don't agree with that statement, um, but I thought it was a bold thing for him to just say that, yeah, you know, this music is all wrong. This contemporary music is all wrong. The right music is the traditional hymns because that came from the church. Well, some of them did. You see, there are some people who despised the hymns. C.S. Lewis didn't like the hymns because he thought literally, or their literature was very um, lacking. And he would humble himself and he says, no, these are my people. This is my church. I will worship with them. Even though, and you know, because he's a literary scholar and you know he understands what's wrong. Can you imagine him? With today, like, oh, God, i got to lower myself. Hey, 
That's what he has to have. I mean, he thought it was below standard of what God would want. And, and so there are people who are saying those kinds of things. And think of all the churches that that just labeled. Boom. There are people who like hymns. That's fine. You can worship with hymns. You can worship with these kinds of music. What happens when you go to another country? You know, it drives me crazy when we start singing a song and people clap on one and three. It's like, no, that's wrong. They do that in Mexico. But this is two and four. You got to have the two and four. Why? Because it's my rock and roll roots. That's really what it comes from. It's my preference. You go anywhere else in the world and they clap on one and three. In the West, they'll clap on two and four. Is one right and one wrong? No, it's just a matter of preference. But this is my preference. You know, I'm going to try and get that two and four. So if I'm in the front row, all right, here we go. I'm going to try and get everyone because to me it sounds out of whack. It's preference. It's not a big deal. Am I going to leave the church? I can't stay here anymore. They clap on one and three. That's it. We're, we're done. It's silly. It's preference. We need to edify one another. And these are disputable things. We can dispute on them. That's what it means. We can dispute on whether you should clap on one and three or two and four, or if you should eat meat or worship on this day, or we should have a tattoo, or can have wine with your dinner or not, or is it okay to play cards or to be in a fantasy football? You know, isn't that gambling? It's against, is it all this way? Hey, each one has to convince themselves in their own heart. And I love the freedom that is involved here because it always is about freedom to choose the right thing for your life and the lives of those around you. It has to be. Because if I try and constrain you to do the things, then when, as soon as you get an opportunity, you're going to break. I'm out of here. I can't live under these conditions. This is suffocating me. Why? Because I feel like you're you're putting these constraints on me. Now, some people need it. I need, you know, this structure. Otherwise, I'm going to go out and I'll get hammered because if I have one drink, I'll have five. Some people are like that and they need a constraint. Good. Don't have one. If you can't have one, if you have to have five and get hammered, then you shouldn't have one. If you can have one and not get hammered, then okay, that's different. You need to be in control of your life. That's what Paul said. Some drink wine, some don't, some eat this, some worship this day. Do what's right according to what God has put on your heart. Because we don't live for ourselves. We're supposed to be mindful of others. How are you when you're with others? Are you mindful of them or do you do your own thing? You need to be aware of that. Any questions? Well, in Corinth, they did. The women covered their heads so they wouldn't be thought as prostitutes. I don't think that's why they were hats here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but it became a tradition because they didn't understand the culture, and that's what happens, you know. So, yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, it wasn't very long ago, a lot of things were very, you know, blatantly can't do those things. And this dualistic view in the church has really dissolved because it's not accurate. You know, and I think it's good that it's dissolved, but we're not here to assimilate everything. We have to hold on to Christ and what he's done and what the creation he's going to do in and through us, through the world around us. Yeah. When I was in Mexico, this last time I went to La Paz, they lost my luggage. And all I had was a pair of shorts and a John Lennon t-shirt. And 
I was thinking, okay, I can't go do this conference at this church in La Paz with shorts and a John Lennon t-shirt because these people will have a hard time with that. And so I was getting ready. We were going to go to like uh, some place and I was going to buy a shirt and some things, but then they found my luggage. And so I had other clothes. But one of the questions the guy asked there at the church when I had a time of questions, he said, you know, when I first came here, I came and I wore some shorts and one of the, the brothers here said, you know, are you going to worship God like that? You know, don't you think you should have more respect and worship God? And I shared with them, you know, I go, I almost had nothing to wear. If someone comes here and they have nothing but shorts, are you going to forbid them from worshiping God because all they have is shorts? You know, will you hinder them from worshiping God because of that standard? Is that the correct standard to have? Now, I wouldn't wear shorts if I didn't have to there, but would you forbid someone from worshiping because all they had was shorts? You know, and so I just threw it back to him. Here, you take this, you know. What if someone doesn't have that? How will you worship? And so, you know, yeah, the dress code was a big thing. It still is. You know, in a lot of churches, oh man, don't come here dressed like that. And they know it. You come to a church, it's like, oh man, I shouldn't be here. Everyone's looking at me. How terrible. You know. But I tell you, if I'm going to church in Haiti, I'm going to dress up in more than shorts because, man, that's how they go to church. They decked out. I, I, yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. So I'll, I'll put on a shirt and sweat. It's okay. They don't sweat. I don't know how they do it. And they, man, they're just like, yeah. That's it. But hey, yeah, because I'm not there for me. I'm there for them. That's how we should all have that mindset. So then just think if we all had that mindset, then gosh, so much would change. No questions? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, this time, Lord, these important things that we talked about. Lord, may we keep in mind that with the freedom we have comes the responsibility, not only for ourselves, but for those around us. God, we are such a self-centered and selfish generation, especially in the West. Lord, we want everything to be catered to what we want, and if not, we'll go somewhere where it is. And Lord, we seldom think of how we can help others, and we're quick to criticize. And Lord, help us not to be that. Lord, help us to not be so exclusive, even myself with the other churches that I have difficult time with. May I not see myself as better or them as wrong and me as right. Um, Lord, may I, if I am stronger in my position, may I be here to edify and build up the others and not just be about myself and my freedoms. <clears throat> help us to live that way with each other. Lord, help us not put constraints on one another. Help us, by all means, not to cause anyone to stumble in their relationship with you. But Lord, may we also recognize what you are doing in and through your people to change the world around us. And we do thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.